0: Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. as well. Matthew chapter number 6 and verse number 19, the Bible states these words, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Amen. And this is lesson number two in treasure principle today, and we'll go to the Lord in prayer that he'd help us this morning. God, our minds and hearts, God, are yours today. God, we want them to be open, God, to the principles, Lord, and the precepts, Father, of your word. I pray, oh God, thank you, Lord Jesus, today, God, for writing, Lord, such a Lord-exhaustive word that can, Lord Jesus, be, Lord, applicable, God, to our everyday lives and events. God, I pray, Lord, today, help us to turn our attention, God, toward, God, this principle, this concept again today. And we'll thank you and we'll praise you, Lord, for what you do, Lord Jesus, through this place. God, we love and adore you, Lord. We thank you in Jesus' name that I pray. Everybody say amen. Shake a neighbor's hand, if you will, before you see them. You might not have seen them for a while, so, you know. Shake their hand and make sure you still know them. Acquaint yourself, if you will. Last week, we began to look at the treasure principle, and we did uh, share with uh, what the treasure principle was. And this is, in a nutshell, what the treasure principle is. It is this. You cannot take it with you, meaning our uh, material things, our monetary things, money itself. We cannot take any of these things with us. We stated that uh, of all the different funerals we've been to in our lives, we've never seen a U-Haul tapped on the back of the hearse that was going out to the graveyard. You cannot take these things with you, but the joy of it is this. You can send it on ahead of you. And the way and means in which we can sit in awe and ahead of us is not to find out what the address of heaven is and box it all up and have UPS or FedEx make a trip. But it will be by virtue in investing in things that are eternal. And by doing that, we are, in essence, sending it ahead of us. Because somewhere along the line, us and it are going to part. Amen. But whenever we invest it in the things that are eternal, we are sending it on ahead of us because we come to the reality that we cannot take it with us by holding on to it. All right? But you can send it ahead of yourself by giving it away. I know it doesn't make real good sense, but in God's economy, there's a lot of statements that just don't make good sense about if you try to save your life, you lose it. You know, It just do not make good sense, but that's just the way that God operates. The first key, if you will, of the treasure principle was this, that God owns everything. We spoke of the scripture of Psalms, how the earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof, and even us that worship here in this land. We, we all belong to God, how the silver and the gold. People, people are discovering what God already knew was there and what belongs to Him. Whenever they find that vein of gold or that vein of silver, all of that belongs to God. Uh, we reviewed last week how uh, it is the Lord that has given us strength in order to even accumulate wealth. Because he given us bodies and air in our lungs and the mobility to be able to function and work and being employed, uh, sometimes, you know, if we're not careful, it's easy sometimes to feel entitled uh, to what we say we worked for, but God gave you the health and the strength in order to uh, function in that capacity, in order to get that wealth that is actually God's to begin with. And so God owns everything and we're just His money managers. And there's a big difference when we understand we're managers or stewards, as Scripture terms it, of God's money rather than believing we're owners of it. And there was a list, and I'm trying not to go through everything, but I know we had a few out uh, last week, and I understand that, rightfully so. I understand that. But that whenever you're a manager of somebody's money, you manage that person's money with their best interest in mind. Furthermore, you may even inquire, ask them, "What do you want me to do?" All right? And for that ma- matter, if you're the manager of another's money, you for sure nowhere along the journey, feel like you're entitled to ownership of what they've given you to manage. Uh, or we would have a, we'd have some well real fiascos, I guess some have thought ownership because that's the reason why you have episodes of embezzlement. Oh, God, I hope I haven't fell to the place with God's money that he's entrusted me of being an embezzler. Amen. Uh, but uh, he, we're just his money managers. And so with all that being said, uh, and I have today some just rhetorical questions for us to ask ourselves, thinking upon these things already from last week, I asked myself, then who actually owns my house? Uh, is that really my bank account? Are those really my skills, my abilities, my talents? Is this my body? Just rhetorical. Amen. Briefly mentioned last week, I made reference to uh, King Tut, how he left all his earthly possessions. Uh, The Egyptians believed in an afterlife, and as a result of that, they believed it was an afterlife that one could actually take their earthly possessions on with them. And since that was the case, here's King Tut. He died somewhere around the age of 17. He was buried, according to what you can read, uh, with solid gold chariots. Uh, he was buried with thousands of golden and artifacts. He was buried within a golden coffin that was within a golden tomb that was within a golden tomb that was <laughs> it was within, within, within all of these golden tombs. His burial site, whenever it was discovered, was filled with tons upon tons of gold and all of that treasure that King Tut was buried with, amen, was right where it was put <laughs> when they put him there left untouched for more than about 3,000 years after it was later discovered. And someone discovered King's tomb, which once again just emphasizes the first point of the principle. You cannot take it with you. No matter how much of it has amassed or how little of it you may per se have, you cannot take it with you. And so when we talk about the subject matter or the topic of giving, giving isn't necessarily about what happens here and now. But it's about the there and then. If you only give with, with the mindset of the kickback kick or what's gonna, what, what is going to what is going to be the uh, 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 perk per se of it now, and there are perks. We remember the man last week that sowed everything he had to buy the field that had the treasure in it. And the Bible says he sowed and went and did all all of that for joy the reason that he did all that because he did it for joy because when you give there is a sense of joy amen that comes with giving so there is a perk now but you can't just think of the here and now you got to think in the realm of eternity see we 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 can ourselves sometimes to the box of this life we're born in the day of our death we really do. We, and we think to ourselves, we got, we're only going to pass through this way once. Right. So we've got to live it up. Yeah. I think we need to concentrate on our first statement. We only pass through here once. Right. Right. Amen. And what we do in this one time is going to set the springboard for all of eternity. Right. So we, we only have one time for dress rehearsal. Exactly. <laughs> we only got one time for dress rehearsal. So what we do in rehearsal is going to determine how the program runs for all eternity after dress rehearsal is over. Amen. And so we got to think about the there and then. We got to think about whatever we're giving, we are in essence, and particularly to eternal things, we are laying up treasures for ourselves, Scripture said in Matthew 6. It's for yourself. You're laying up treasures for yourself, but they are in heaven, and so they're eternal. Moth does not get in there. Rust does not corrupt that. Thieves do not steal that. Uh, When you get there, if you position your life accordingly, when you get there, it'll be there. It's the best savings bank you've ever had. Best FDIC you're ever going to encounter. Just send it on ahead of yourself. The Bible says in Matthew 19 and verse 21 uh, to the the fellow who had some goods, he said, Jesus said said unto him, if that wilt be perfect, go and sell that thou hast and give to the poor and thou shalt have treasure in heaven and come and follow me amen and come and follow me this is the man who asked the lord concerning what 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 must i do and have eternal life and uh, he said well you know the commandments oh yeah i've kept all these even from a boy up i've kept all these he said well if you'll be perfect He said, go and sell what you have and give to the poor and come and follow me. There's something that I think we need to understand that when we are generous in our giving, God is the one to reward us. Amen. If if we are the one that's just amassing it and keeping it and then just see what we can get in exchange for it, the money is your rewarder. Whatever you can get in exchange for it. But when you give it, God becomes your rewarder. God becomes the one that is rewarding us. And there is not a better record, record, uh, reward program here on the earth than the one that God has. It surpasses them all. And you've heard me say before, and this go, it's applicable for what we're talking about this morning, you've heard me say that God keeps good records. That's, that's kind of like if you, if you keep a list of the sayings of mine, that would probably be within the list. God keeps good records, and he does. And uh, among not only our acts but, but uh, he is also keeping records of our giving he's got our account up there as well right. Paul told the Philippians that they were the only ones that talked to Paul he said the Philippians were the only ones that talked to me about giving and receiving whenever I left Macedonia and remember Paul's trying to get together some goods he's trying to get together uh, some monetary things because Jerusalem needed some help uh, the Macedonians were very liberal uh, we've seen last week about doing that. A matter of fact, they, it spoke about them being in a time of affliction, uh, being in a time that they were kind of suppressed sur- 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 per- a little bit, but they were even asking, Uh, Paul didn't even have to ask they were asking can we be a part of this we we want to give and he says whenever I left Macedonia he said the Philippians were the only ones that were talking about giving and talking about receiving as a matter of fact he said even when he was at Thessalonica he said they had, had gave toward his need Paul's need in particular and Paul states in Philippians 4 verse number 17 he says not because I desire a gift I think this is tremendous he says not because I desire a gift but I desire fruit that may abound to your account in other words what Paul is saying is this he's saying the things we offer as a gift in our giving is really fruit that is tallied to our account now you ain't going to find that anywhere else Paul's saying that When you make a withdrawal to give, you're making a deposit to your account. Now, again, that don't make good sense. But that's the way it works in God's economy. That as you give it away, there's deposits. As you make withdrawals, he's making deposits into your account. In essence, what we give away in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ is received there, might I say, on your behalf, in your account. So if we give here, we're making deposits up there. Amen. Amen. Uh, as the principal second half is, you can send it on ahead by virtue of giving here. And here's the reality, folks. I'm not, I'm not here to paint the skies of gloom and doom. They've been gray for a while anyway. So, But each day is bringing you and I closer to death. It's the reality of the situation. Amen. And if our treasures are invested right here solely upon the earth, that means each day is bringing you closer and closer to losing your treasure. If this is all it it, it amounts to right here, house, car, bank account, if that's all it amounts to, then as we're nigh and getting closer to death, you're getting closer to separation from your treasure. Remember what Jesus said in our scripture reading in Matthew 6, 21. He says, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. That brings me to the second key of the principles. My heart always goes where I put God's money. My heart always goes where I put God's money. You've heard it over the years and I believe it still stands true. Uh, And I could probably go get mine and we could share it. But we've often said that we could look at our individual checkbooks, our receipts, uh, some some credit statements, and they would be a good indication about where our heart is. Yeah, <coughs> McDonald's, McDonald's, no, it's okay. <laughs> grocery store, FAC. All right, FAC missionaries, FAC. You understand what I'm saying? So where we put our money shows where our heart is. But it also, listen to me very clearly, where we put our money shows where our heart is, but it also determines where our heart goes. All right? Money leads, hearts follow. Money leads, hearts follow. Randy Alcorn, he wrote this, and it's just good every once in a while for somebody, you know, to pin something that and it's not me, and I just feel like I can relate sometimes. He says, This is what he wrote. I didn't write this, he wrote this. He said, I've heard people say, I want more of a heart for missions. He says, I always respond. Jesus tells you exactly how to get it. Put your money in missions and your church and the poor, and your heart will follow. Right? Wow. I want more of a heart he says okay invest and your heart will be there invest in that and your heart will be there amen but the thing is you, you, you don't wait to take the action until your heart's in it if you put your money in it your heart will get in it amen take action so your heart will be in it don't, don't let your giving follow your heart give so your heart will follow your giving amen hallelujah so, so he so said, your heart is not where you wish or hope or plan for your heart to be. You know, I, I hope someday, or I plan on so and so, or uh, I wish, you know, someday that I can do such and such. No, your heart is where your treasure is. Now, it's not where you plan for it to be, where you hope for it to be. It's where it is now. And so, uh, rhetorically asking us some questions today: What keeps us from giving more? Am I afraid of giving? Do I trust that God will meet my needs if I give? Just rhetorically. So whenever we die, death is a loss to people that just place treasures upon this earth. Again, because it separates them from the things that they have invested in. However, if we lay up heavenly treasures, as the Apostle Paul made mention of, We can state as he did, for me to live is Christ. And to die is gain. Because when the focus of our living is Christ, instead of earthly treasures, dying is really gain for you and I, because we've already sent some stuff on ahead. The gain is the heavenly treasures that will obtain Part and parcel because of a life that we've spent in giving and the, what type of life we've practiced here upon the earth. Luke chapter number 12, and I, uh, several verses of Scripture right here are the parable that I wish to read in your hearing today. The Bible says in Luke 12 and verse 16, And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain man brought forth plentifully, and he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. He is just so plentiful that he's ran out of room to put it all. Now, I, that's a good problem, I'm telling you right now. And he said, This will I do I will pull down my barns and build greater and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. Verse 19, and I will say to my soul, so thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Now he's talking about this life because they're just in his barn. All right, he, whenever he's talking about laid up for many, he's not talking about eternity. He's talking about his present life. Amen, for many years, take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry but God said unto him thou fool this night thy soul shall be required of thee then who shall those things be which thou hast provided so is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God again folks one of the biggest roadblocks uh, to giving in America is the illusion that earth is our home. Is, is living in the moment, believing, man, I still got a lot of years. Seriously. We, we, at times we can become very attached with earth. And life, as, as Job, I believe, said it, is just a vapor. It's here today and gone tomorrow we've all had episodes whether it be near accidents and stuff that brought that statement so close to our personal lives that in that moment of time I guarantee you importance of life shifts in a mere moment of what we deem as important it does or you have a loved one that's about ready to pass life's perspective shifts in that moment About what truly is important amen Amen. and what God wants us to try to do is constantly live with that shift amen and understand that earth is not our home and so that's the third principle for us today heaven not earth is my home the Bible describes us amen it describes people that uh, would come to know the Lord, born again of the water and the Spirit, or for all of us, for that matter, whoever we are, we're only going to live for a certain period of time upon this earth. But the Bible describes us in several different ways. It sometimes describes us as being pilgrims, right. Leo pilgrims that had no permanent dwelling, didn't have a foundation house with brick and a hut? No. all times had their tent and they uprooted and they put it back down there and they're nomads and they're just traveling, aren't they? They're pilgrims. We've been spoken as strangers. You know, sometimes people ask, oh, what are you? where are you native of? Well, I'm a stranger. <laughs> I don't have a native land, I don't guess, down here. We're just strangers. It speaks of us as being ambassadors. And ambassadors, in, in essence, are, are not citizens of the country that they may be residing in. I'm an ambassador today. That's what even Paul spoke of himself as, an ambassador. I'm residing here, but I'm not a citizen of this country. <laughs> my citizenship is another country, and I'm just residing here right now, and whenever I serve my term <laughs> as an ambassador in this life, I'm going, back to the, I'm going to the country I'm a citizen of. Heaven, not earth, is my home. And so, where we put, listen, where we put our treasure largely depends upon where we think home is. Where we put our treasure largely depends upon where we think home is. As a little boy, and we lived over in Princeton, lived in Princeton my whole life until uh, virtually after marriage. And uh, as a little kid, uh, there were times on Saturdays that uh, Dad and I, and we'd somehow get a load together and we'd take uh, periodic trips every once in a while out. That w- that was, they had a landfill. You know, I know today EPA and everything, environments all over that type of stuff. You know. But uh, they had a landfill. And uh, we would go, I'd go with Dad out to the landfill. And there were only certain days that it was open and only certain times it was open, so we, you, know, you had to be strategic about whenever you went. And to my childish mind, whenever we went to the landfill, it was an amazing place. I mean, to a boy, it was an amazing place. For one, it was probably the biggest hole I'd ever seen in the earth. You know, I mean, come on. A boy looking down, you know, we dig holes in the backyard, and like, look at this, you know, huge hole, awesome. You know, it's an amazing place. And number two, you could almost see everything you ever dreamed of in the hole. Seriously, I mean, there is everything out there. I remember standing at the precipice of that edge and they got that big bulldozer that's constantly working and we're throwing some of our garbage out there, you know. And, but out there, man, there's cars out there and there's, there's TVs out there and there's boats and there's clothes and there's somebody's lunch from yesterday and there's stereos out there and there's grills. And I'm like, wow, Walmart don't have anything on the landfill. There's things out there that was Christmas presents of someone's from last year and birthday presents of someone's from two years ago. And the old saying that we have one man's trash is another man's treasure. That even if I could just tweak the saying a little bit, one man's trash today was his treasure yesterday. Oh, I just felt the Holy Ghost come in here. Because in that landfill, that trash heap were the treasures that children sometimes quarreled over. Friendships were lost over. Honesty was sacrificed for. Marriages even broken up over. Out there in that landfill, Uh which was once someone's treasure. And we ask ourselves then in retrospect through the telescope of some of those things, is it really all worth it am I more attached to the things of this world or am I attached to the things of God's kingdom Randy in his book he likens our life to a dot and a line he says our present life here on the earth is the dot it's brief it begins it ends he says but from the dot extends a line that. Virtually goes on forever. Present life is just a moment. But the line is going to continue forever. Right. That brings us to the fourth principle. Or key up to the principle today. We should live not for the dot. But for the line. Right. The Giving is living for the line. Amassing treasure here. Is living for the dot. Right. Again. Again. We will part with our money. The question is when. All right? The question is when. It's our choice to part with some of it now. Yet there'll be a day when we die, we'll have no choice, and we will part with it then. And so Luke chapter number 12 and verse number 15 states these words, and he said unto them, take heed, beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. Now, I've I got a few giving facts here. And again, um, I do not have a, uh, an axe to grind in any of this. I'm just sharing, okay, today through this. We live in a very affluent society. Our country right here is very blessed. Uh, beyond measure in comparison to other uh, countries and third world world countries uh, throughout our history, human history of over 200 years now, we have been a pretty blessed nation. And so American Christians, and these are are even dated, these are about 13 years old, stats, all right, around the year 2000. But American Christians control about 70% of the world's Christian wealth. The average American Christian gives 2.6% of his income to the Lord just going on today average giving by adults attending U.S. Protestant churches is about 17 bucks a week which amasses about $70 a month $840 a year 96% of American Christians give away less than 10% of their income just consideration the younger a churchgoer the less he gives proportionally 80% of the money given to the American church is given by those ages 55 and older. Within 50 years, $100 trillion will pass from the older to the younger. In other words, what they took as a responsibility will be now the next generation's responsibility. Amen. And I I see that, you know, in churches sometimes. Amen. That's going to pass on. And so, as a side note, as parents... As leadership, what we are teaching them now is vitally important for the then. And I'm saying the then in this life. Because if they don't garner that, that uh, uh, understanding about this concept of giving now, when these elders have passed on and give faithfully some of them off their fixed incomes. Amen. And these others get older, they won't Pick up the ball, so to speak, that's been left in our court. Amen. <clears throat> the, average, the average Christian, and this is not up there, but the average Christian gives, listen, one quarter the amount required by one of the three tithes commanded the people of Israel, meaning in the Old Testament, you know, you give a tithe of the lamb, give a tithe of, of your livestock, Give a tithe of your household, the firstborn belonging to the Lord. So the average Christian gives one quarter of what was required of them. And what we understand in the old time Israel, Israel or Israelites of that day, uh, by and large, most of them was deemed as poor. And look now, they had not experienced the transforming grace of Christ or had the Holy Ghost living inside of them. Then, amen. The average Christian in our churches gives 30% less than the average American gave in the depths of the Great Depression. In other words, they were given percentagely and proportionally more during the Depression than they were given around the year 2000. Just, and again, this is just information. Three to five percent of Americans who don't donate money to a church give 10% of their incomes, although many more claim to. (laughs) i don't know we got a lot of testifiers that say yeah i do that but whenever you come down to the nuts and bolts the reality is three to five percent uh do amen 50 to 80 percent of the world's evangelical wealth is in north america in other words for evangelizing the world for propagating the saving gospel uh, to other nations and countries 50 to 80 percent of that comes from north america for the purpose of propagating missionaries and stuff from our country. Thank God for that, for spreading the gospel. But if the U.S. Christians raise their giving to the Old Testament starting place of 10%, the tithe, an additional $140 billion a year will become available to the work of Christ. The treasure principle. Not living for the now, living for the there and the then. Now, Consider, now, we, we, we spoke of last week concerning, you know, wealth doesn't, or money doesn't necessarily make you happier or fulfill that little void of joy, all right? Remember, the guy, he got his joy because he was giving it away. It wasn't necessarily because he was amassing it. Listen to the voices of some of the, these wealthiest people in their day. I don't know if you can see that. But in their day, there were some of the wealthiest people right there, W.H. Vanderbilt. He said the care of 200 million is enough to kill anyone. He said there's no pleasure in it. It's a wealthy man saying that. Here is John Jacob Astor. He says, I am the most miserable man on earth. Yet he was one of the wealthiest men in his day and time. John D. Rockefeller says, I have made millions, but they have brought me no happiness. This is not somebody that's planned to be happy or has a theory on riches. They're rich. But this is then in retrospect concerning that. Andrew Carnegie says, millionaires seldom smile. Henry Ford said this. He said, I was happier when doing a mechanic's job. Man, a study that was conducted back in 1999 concluded this. They did a study, scientifically did a study, and don't have to get into all the ins and outs of how it was accomplished, but they said six months after winning the lottery, six months after winning the lottery, winners were no happier than if they were paralyzed in a car crash. They did that scientifically to find out. So I asked myself then some more questions this morning. I'm just prodding us to think. If God was to audit my finances, would he conclude that I live more for the dot or for the line? What would some of God's observations be of my life? Ecclesiastes chapter number five and verse number 17. The Bible says the sleep of a laboring man is sweet. But the abundance of the rich will not suffer him to sleep. Ecclesiastes chapter number 5, as for a matter of fact, has a few insightful statements about money or concerning money. And this one in particular uh, reveals a little bit to us, I believe, is that the more that we have, the more we got to worry about. <laughs> the more you got, you know, you ever went to bed at night thinking? It's, I, it's a pitfall of mine. I go to bed thinking. It's not too conducive to sleep. But the more you, it's like, you know, well, I got a, I got, you know, whenever you have more stuff, and I got enough stuff. Let me tell you, I got enough stuff. Got a house, got two vehicles, I got a motorcycle. Motorcycle's paid for, one of my vehicles paid for, another one's on the verge of being paid for. I got a trailer that sits over here. During weather like this, it's another thing to worry about. <laughs> the more you, you know I got to take that I got to take that battery out of that motorcycle and I got to just let it charge throughout the winter so that it's ready you know it's just another thing to contend with you understand what I'm saying and so the more things you have you have some acreage you, manage, you have to make sure that it doesn't get all grown over or if it's used and you lease it out for somebody to farm you got to manage all of that you understand what I'm saying there's more things to break that may necessitate needing fix that then in turn costs you more money you can even get something free someone gave you a free television well my goodness that's great that's a big television got me a free television now no I'm gonna hook up cable to that and I'm gonna get some surround sound to put in that what's going on it was free but now you're investing in something that was free and it's now become cumbersome you understand what you understand what I'm saying And, and and so it happens sometimes the more that we have the more you have to worry about uh, there was a man, uh, he, he, was, he was a, a rich man, and, and, and Randy alluded to this guy. It was on the weekend, and he was kind of just kind of milling him out and such. He said, what's your problem? He says, well, I own a vacation home down in Florida, and it's having some repairs. He said, well, I thought you might take the weekend off. He said, I can't take the weekend off. He said, I got to go down there and manage the affairs of that roof being put on. And so he climbed into his private jet to make his trip, didn't get a weekend off. Why? Because of another thing that he owned that necessitated his time. Sometimes we think we own our possessions, but all too often they really do own us. There's nothing that makes this journey in life any more difficult than a heavy backpack filled with nice but unnecessary things. Just this year uh, on our our trip for NYC, uh, we have done a lot of packing in our life. And, uh, (laughs) oh boy, have we. And we was preparing for see, Brother Terry. And it was the lightest year that my wife and any of us has ever packed, even for the kids. You know, used to, they want to bring a dozen things because they want the comforts at home. You know, they want their, 10 of their stuff, animals and all this stuff. Uh, I remember last year when we went to Tennessee, Andrew, uh, we were gathering stuff, we were packing stuff in the van, and we let the kids grab some stuff. wrong, wrong. Thing to do we got in that van got about ready to go and the two seats where they were sitting was there was no floor space it was masked with blankets and animals and all this stuff and so whenever you get somewhere guess what you got to handle all that stuff but we went to national youth convention the lightest year ever i could not believe it it was unbelievable and it was great because whenever we got there that bellhop all of our stuff fit on one cart That was a miracle within itself, and we weren't toting along blankets and had them under our arms and stuffed in places and all. And it cost a whole lot less money to tip him because he didn't have to handle all that stuff. (laughs) What I'm saying, and and a lot of that. Here's the thing. You know what? A lot of that stuff sometimes that we took, we never even touched it while we was going on our trip. There was times, Bishop, I didn't even take my laptop, thinking I'm going to do some stuff, you know, and I've never even touched it go take that book because i'm gonna read a chapter never read it you know what it was unnecessary but it was a burden amen to me amen <laughs> some other statements are found in ecclesiastes chapter number five ecclesiastes five and verse number 10 it says he that love of silver shall not be satisfied with silver nor he that loveth abundance with increase. This is also vanity. If we could just uh, derive a few things from this particular verse, uh, some, other, some other ideas or insights concerning mo- uh, money or, or, or just finances in general, uh, it seems like sometimes, and this is typical, the more you have, the more, the more you want. The more is never enough. And yet the more we have still yet, we're still unsatisfied. You could always use just a little bit more. And we'll always push our living to the extent of what we have. You know, we think if I just had a little bit more money, this would help my, this would help my, my lifestyle situation. But whenever you get more, you increase your lifestyle to the edge of what you have again. And, I, I, and I, when I'm saying you, I'm saying us, okay? You understand that it, it's the way that we roll. Amen? Verse number 11 The Bible states these words, When goods increase, they are increased that eat them. When goods are increased, they are increased that eat them. And what good is there to the owners thereof, saving the beholding of them with their eyes? When goods increase, they are increased that eat them. The more you have, the more people, including the government, comes after it. Mm Mm-hmm. (laughs) <laughs> the more you have, the more that those increase that eat <laughs> those goods that you have. Get more property, you got more property tax. Right? Amen. And so, and the more you have, the more I hope that we realize that it just doesn't do any good. It, it doesn't do any good. You know, saving just the beholding of it with your eyes. Wow, look at all this. Wow, look at all this. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Uh, You ever stepped into that garage that was meant for your car and your car's never seen it? There's people building new homes today. Bless goodness, we're going to have a garage. And it doesn't even serve the purpose that was built for. We got a lot of things, a lot of things going on if you will today I'll skip verse 12 because we already looked at it but verse number 13 there is a sore evil which I have seen under the sun namely riches kept for the owners thereof to their hurt the more you have the more you can hurt yourself by holding on to it verse 14 I'm trying to meander along here I guess I better step it up a little bit But those riches perish by evil travail, and he begetteth a son, and there is nothing in his hand. In other words, the more that you have, the more you have to lose. The more you have to lose. If You don't have a lot to worry about. You don't have to worry about losing a lot. You know, it kind of goes back to that concept. Verse number 15, the Bible says, and as he came forth, Of his mother's womb naked shall he return to go as he came and shall take nothing of his labor which he may carry away in his hand. The more you have, the more, again, you will leave behind if you don't make the choice to give some of it away right now because you cannot take it with you. Pastor McGee, are you renouncing treasure? No, I don't renounce treasure. I say let's just relocate it. Amen. Let's relocate. A.W. Tozer uh, is quoted in saying this this morning, the treasure principle here. As base a thing as money often is, it yet can be transmuted into everlasting treasure. It can be converted into food for the hungry and clothing for the poor. It can keep a missionary actively winning lost men to the light of the gospel And thus transmute itself into heavenly values. Any temporal possession can be turned into everlasting wealth. Whatever is given to Christ is immediately touched with immortality, immortality rather, immortality. First Timothy chapter number six and verse seventeen. The Bible says it says charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willingly to communicate, Laying up in store for themselves a good foundation, what? Against the time to come. Laying up a good foundation that's for the eternity that's beyond the dot. That they may lay hold on eternal life. And I'm coming to a close today, if you'll stand with me. What we've been talking about really brings principle number five into view giving is the only antidote to materialism giving is the only antidote to materialism God's money that he has entrusted us with has a higher purpose than just the things we per se own and as long as we have something I see it in my kids as long as they have something they tend to believe that they're the ones that own it even whenever it's not stuff in our house take them to a preschool there's toys there or some environment where there's stuff like that they start playing with that another kid tries to come in what happens man they protect that with everything as though it belongs to them as though they own it and so whenever we tend to have stuff we tend to favor the mindset that then we own it amen but when we give it away when you give something away you truly are or should be relinquishing control power and prestige of that thing that is given away and here is the real concept i think concerning given is the only antidote to materialism and i don't want to be materialistic and i don't want to uh, i don't want to have a church that's materialistic because it's going to be difficult to win a materialistic world and it's less likely if there'll be one to christ if it's a materialistic church And so i leave us with just a couple other questions, rhetorical, of course. I to raise your hand or blurt out an answer, please. But is what I have my possessions? Is that competing with my giving? Is what I have my possessions competing with my giving? And if materialism is a disease, what's the cure for it? Fifth key. I think gives us a little bit of a cure, gave us the antidote, practice giving, practice giving, amen, all right, praise the Lord this morning, thank you for indulging me for the next few moments, and if you ever want to pick up that book, you can probably find it anywhere, I found ours at the Goodwill, (laughs) a small price so the rest of the treasure could go somewhere else, you understand what I'm saying, amen. Hallelujah. If we bow our heads in this place this morning, amen. And as we come to a. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.